you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I invite you to please turn with me now to the book of John. John chapter 4, we will be concluding this chapter this morning. As you are doing so, I will share with you, my family got to experience a Columbus tradition this week, and we were invited by some friends to go to Wassel Fest and experience uh, the um, variety of flavors, and um, we learned a few things uh, about that. One, uh, that's really tough to do, trailing three children. Uh, <laughs> to ask them to try 15 different recipes and rate them and uh, not touch things in the store and not get lost in the crowd, that's hard. Um, the next thing that we learned is we have no idea what wassail is supposed to taste like. And if you're gonna evaluate something, you should probably know what it tastes like. But I can tell you this with confidence, uh, some of those businesses didn't know either. Um, <laughs> We had a, a great time, and it actually works out well, and the reason I bring that up, there is a vast difference in knowing about something and knowing something. Uh, for a lot of people, they have a lot of knowledge about certain things, but some experiences, some knowledge in life, if you've not used it, it stays in that theoretical area, and it's not very useful. I would say that our knowing Jesus falls in that category. There are many people in this world and across their lives that know a lot about Jesus. They've heard the stories, they've seen, sang the songs, they've um, witnessed the programs, they've done all of these things, but they don't know who he is. And so if you were to ask them, really ask them, who is Jesus, they couldn't come up with a good answer. It would be like someone making a recipe that they had never made before. And we see in our text this morning, Jesus is on the move. He's leaving Samaria. He's been there for some time, and he's now headed back to Galilee. And as we make this transition, we come across two parties, and we'll talk about them in just a moment. Both of these parties have an interaction with Jesus, and it will be up to us to decipher, to determine which group do they fall in. Do they merely know about Jesus, or do they know Jesus? With that being said, please turn your attention to our text this morning, John chapter 4. I would like to begin in the 43rd verse and read to the end of the chapter. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. 
as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please bow with me? Dear Heavenly Father, every one of us here, those joining us online, our children in the nursery, and all those participating in worship this day, we need you. Not knowledge of you, not merely with our lips declaring you, but to the core of our being, we need you to know you, to trust in you, to repent of our sin and seek the forgiveness of Jesus Christ who shed his blood on the cross that we might have a place with you as children, as sons and daughters of the King. Father, it is not enough just to know about you. We need you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that through your word and through my words that you would reveal yourself to us, that we might indeed know the Savior. Lord, please bless this time for your glory and for our good, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. We've had several interactions in the book of John to this point, from Jesus and Nicodemus to Jesus and the disciples of John the Baptist, Jesus and the the woman at the well, and Jesus and the people of Samaria, to now Jesus and the Galileans and this official from Capernaum. And as we see these interactions, these moments, these scenes, we find... The answer to this question, what happens when I come in contact with Christ? What happens when I come in contact with Christ? And there's a lot of different answers, right? For Nicodemus, we don't know. We left his story without the answers. Um, For John the Baptist, he rejected fame and notoriety And all these things that could have been his if he'd have taken it for himself. And what does he do? He shoves it away. Don't listen to me. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. For the woman at Samaria, we certainly would conclude that her life was better after meeting Jesus than it was before. For those in Samaria, right? When when they heard her testimony and heard him themselves, their lives were changed. And so when we come in contact with the word of Jesus Christ, the truth of Jesus Christ, we can believe it. We can be hesitant, and as if, Lord willing, we are able to continue in the book of John, we'll even find people that reject it, that weaponize it, that villainize it, that turn against it. But really what we have here in our text before us this morning are these two groups, the Galileans... And the official from Capernaum. And what we want to do, and what I pray we'll do in our time together this morning, is slot them. Where do they fit in that spectrum? 
How do they react to coming in contact with Jesus? And what we're going to do is we're going to see four ways you can respond to Christ in our text this morning. You can reject Him, ultimately, because you've only got a partial faith, which is to say faith in works is not true faith. You can hope in Him. You can believe what He says. Or you can accept it and see that it indeed is contagious. That's roughly our outline this morning. Um, it was a little clearer in your bulletin. But we will seek to, to witness these responses to interacting with Jesus. And let's begin with this idea that faith in works is not true faith. In this first section, these first few verses is getting us from A to B. Jesus is on the move again. And John always wants you to know where he is. He's trying to give factual information about Jesus, his life, his ministry, his interactions with others. He's leaving Samaria and heading back to Galilee, the region in which he performed his first miracle, the region in which he turned water into wine, the region in which he was born. And John gives us this interesting note as he's telling us Jesus is on the move. Jesus himself had testified, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Now he does this to prepare us. He does this to, to let us know what's going to happen when he gets to Galilee. Just because Jesus is from a place, just because he's performed miracles there, it doesn't mean people are going to believe in him. And so we should realize that, and soberly we should come to that understanding. We should look at other biblical figures and see that this is true. King David was regarded ill by his brothers for his age. Joseph was hated by his siblings because he received their father's favor. Paul, despite his Jewish birth and upbringing, was despised by the Jewish people. Jesus himself crucified by who? The Jews. And so this idea, this phrase, that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, there's some truth to that. And, and Matthew Henry, to, to put an exclamation point on it, says, Men's pride and envy make them scorn to be instructed by those who once were their schoolfellows and playmates. It can be hard to see someone, especially watch them grow up and then interact with them as an adult. If you knew them as a child, for a lot of us, we lock in a certain age, and that's their age into perpetuity. And it doesn't matter if they're 50, if they're 70, we still look at them and see that 12-year-old who had a propensity in taking one too many peppermints in the candy jar. And so John is warning us, this is going to be a lackluster interaction when Jesus gets back. But we have a bit of a problem here. What, is the, what does the text tell us? Does that, does that ring true? When he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Well, that doesn't seem to fit, does it? They welcomed him. They held the door open. Hey, Jesus, you're back. Good to see you again. But John had said it's not going to be a warm welcome. Well, this is the, the point here. 
and we have to be careful how we read it. Why did they welcome him? Was it because he was Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of sinners? Was it because he was the one to come and forgive them of their sins? Was it because he was the one to fulfill everything the Old Testament had prophesied and promised and said would come of Jesus? No. What did the text tell us? When he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem. You see, they welcomed him in because Jesus was a spectacle. Jesus was something to behold. This Jesus, last time he was around, he turned water into wine. That worked out well for us at the party, didn't it? I wonder what he'll do this time. What other magic trick does he have up his sleeve? What is he going to transform or do or perform? Or how can I benefit from this? And, and this is not a one-time incident. He's gonna, Jesus is going to be plagued by the people after he feeds the 5,000. They're going to keep following him from place to place to place, waiting on more bread. But that's not a reason to follow Jesus Christ, is it? We're not called to follow Jesus because Jesus will provide for us or do for us. Now, He does, and that's good that He does. But we're called to come to Jesus, to know Jesus, to trust in Jesus because of who He is, period. I want to point your attention to some prophets that, that make this very, very clear. The book of Daniel, chapter 3, verse 16 Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, mighty men of God. They've been told, they've been warned, they've been threatened. If you do not worship this idol, you will go into this fire. And what do they say? O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were prepared to die than engage in false worship. What a perfect case right there of I'm not worshiping God for what I can get out of it because this may be death. Also, it's interesting in what they say, we will be delivered. How are they going to be delivered in their understanding? Through death. <laughs> You're losing, Nebuchadnezzar. We're winning. God's going to take us out of it or he's going to see us through it or he's going to see us in it. So we look at the Galileans here and they're witnessing Jesus they're excited. What's going to come next? I would argue that that is not a good basis, foundation for faith. And so faith in works, faith in performance, will not last. It will not satisfy. It will disappoint. And unfortunately, we do this to others as well. We do this to people. We put our faith in people to, to do the right thing, say the right thing, be the right person, and then they fail we put this in all sorts of things. We place our trust in wrong places. But if that's not how we should place our faith, then how should we? This is a negative example. Let's look at it a positive. 
Let's, let's switch parties. We've got the, the Galileans is one group, and then the Capernaum official is the other. And so if we don't trust in Jesus merely for his works or what he can do, what do we trust in him for? Well, we trust in him for hope. We see that as we continue in our text. And here we've got a, an official whose son was sick. He's heard that Jesus has come to Galilee, to this area, with a purpose in mind. And so the official finds Jesus, and he asks him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. This man has a real problem. His son is dying. He's likely sought help and answers from the medical professionals and those in his community and those around him, and they could not fix his need. But now that Jesus is in town, he reaches out to Jesus. Jesus, can you solve my problem? And that's not a, the best way to put it. He, he always states as if, as if Jesus could. I want to be careful there. Jesus, come heal my son. Now, we need to admit, this man wants something out of Jesus. This man is wanting something that Jesus can perform. At this point, he's trusting in works, just like those in Galilee. I want to be clear. We, we need to lump them in the same category. But, but we got to give the man credit, because where does he go? He goes to God. What an example for us. Even when our motivations are wrong, even when we're not thinking clearly, we should feel comfortable, confident in God that we can approach him. Jesus does not turn this man away, even though his theology is a little off at this point. He kindly explains to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Your faith is weak. That's what Jesus said to this man. <laughs> Your faith is weak. You're not going to trust me unless you see what I can do. All of us are called to trust in Jesus Christ by faith. To hope in Him by faith. To receive Him by faith and faith alone. We're not going to be given signs and wonders. We're going to be given the Word of God. We hope in Jesus because of who He is, not because of what He might do. Some of us this day may find ourselves in such a situation. We may be at a point in our lives with a circumstance, with a, with a problem, with a whatever may be going on, and we need help. We need escape. We need a way out. We need a path forward. I would tell you, turn to Jesus. And ask Him, plead with Him to heal you to care for your need, to solve that problem, to fix that situation going on, but also accept the fact that Jesus does do that which is most glorifying to the Father and beneficial to you. It may not be the answer you want, but hope in Him and have faith. And believe what He says. So our third point here, believe in the words of Jesus. I mean, this official was just told, your, your faith's not there. 
many of us at that point, we're, we're, so, we're so adverse to rejection, we would have bowed our head and walked away. <laughs> oh, Jesus said, I don't have enough faith. Well, I guess that's over. He, he's been corrected to his face. This man, you've got to admire his spirit, though. He doesn't give up. He's staring the Savior in the face. He's just been corrected. And he says to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And I love this response by Jesus. Verse 50. Go. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Can you picture, can, can you conceive in your head the level of faith that took? You're there because your child is dying. You've exhausted everything available to you. You're at someone, you're in his presence of someone you believe could solve that problem. And he says, turn around and walk away. Your son will live. They had not seen a miracle like this happen before, as far as we know, this man hadn't, that Jesus could perform miracles at distance. Could he only do it if he could behold you, if he could see you, if he could touch you, if he could pray over you? We don't know. At least this man at this, at this moment, he didn't know. But Jesus tells him, the words Jesus says is, go, your son will be healed. And this man with nothing left at the bottom that he could get, the lowest he could go, it says he believed the word that Jesus spoke and went on his way. He trusted in Jesus with what? Faith. This man has to be who he says he is and must be able to do what he says he's going to do. The Old Testament was full of prophecy. It said that the Messiah, when he comes, would let the blind see again and the deaf hear again and the dumb to speak again. That the dead would rise that sickness would be cast out, that, that demons would be caused to flee when the one who came, or was to come, he would do these things. And so this man was being challenged by Jesus. Believe what I have promised I would do throughout the whole Old Testament, through all of Scripture. It prepares you for this moment, for this interaction with Jesus. Will he do what he said he would do? And he did. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This is the real challenge for all of us today. It is one thing to say we believe the words of God, but how many of us, when faith would be required, would turn around and go home and believe? How many of us in that moment, in that season, in that crisis could say, you know, Lord, you were sovereign yesterday when the sun's shining and you're sovereign today when the rain's falling. It, it's a level of faith that we should all aspire to and we should all seek to grow in our faith so that when those moments of crisis come, we're not shaken to the core. Our foundation is not rocked. We can stand firm knowing that the God is consistent. We trust and, and, and believe and truly do believe what we're told in Romans 8.28. For all, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, His good, 
to those who are called according to His purpose. God will not waste you. He will not waste your life. He will not waste your circumstances. They may not go the way you want them to, but if you need encouragement in that, I, I encourage you, um, a, a book, a conference, a video, uh, there's a mighty woman of God, Joni Erickson Tata. Go look her up. Grab a book. Listen to her testimony of her life before her swimming accident and after, and tell me if God can't use everything for his glory and for your good. We have to look to Jesus for hope. We have to believe in the words of Jesus Christ. Not for what we'll get out of them, but because he said them. And when we do so, and when we do so, we will find it true and we will find it contagious. Let's look at our last section. I love this last section. And praise God for including this. The official's on his way home. It looks like it's about a day journey. He's been walking for a day, and his servants run from the house back to him. And it may be two days. That may be how that math works. They may have met in the middle. And they tell him, Sir, your son is not dying. In fact, he's recovering. The official asks him, Well, when did this happen? Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. You know this man's not taking a leisurely stroll back home. He's, he's probably not running, but he's probably at a, at a pretty quick pace. And he gets this news, and you can imagine he just stops. <laughs> and in his head, he, he, he's doing the math backwards, and he's thinking to himself, and it says, the father knew this was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. Jesus did what he promised he would do, which blossomed into faith for this man. This man was called to believe. He believed. The Lord performed a miracle for him, which led to greater belief. And I would make the case as significant as this moment is, it's not the most significant moment in the text. The next sentence is, or the next clause. He himself believed and all his household. When the Lord gets a hold of an individual, and statistically speaking, especially a husband or a man, households are changed. Families are changed. Generations are changed. Why? Because believing in Jesus Christ is contagious. And when the leader of the house is transformed, that transformation goes out into how life is lived. It goes out into how discipline has taken place. It goes out into the decisions on the family calendar. It goes out and all the decisions of their lives are changed from that one transformation. And we can narrow it down specifically to this instance. This man has a need. His son is dying and he can't save him. So he goes to the one who can and Jesus Christ changes this man's life, forces, or calls, forces, causes faith in him. That faith then goes back home, and you've got to believe when he got to work on Monday, he's like, guys, guys, you got to hear what happened. You know at Thanksgiving that year, and I know this predates Thanksgiving, but go with me, that was the topic of conversation at the table 
Oh, that new game you've got, that, that fish you caught? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Hold on, that's got to wait. You've got to hear this. Jesus Christ saved my life and my son's and my family's. We don't know the impact of their community. We don't know the impact of the workplace. We don't know the impact of the generations later that this moment caused. But see the difference. The Galileans cling to Jesus because he is, he's a wizard that, that does neat things and that's either beneficial for me or fun to watch. And then you've got this official who's not even named. He's barely even given a rank. He comes to Jesus, trusting him in faith. And by consequence, he's saved. And what's more miraculous? That Jesus stopped this kid from dying or that he brought this dead heart to life? Which one's easier for Jesus? Well, the answer's both. It's more miraculous that Jesus brought a dead heart to life in the Father, not in the Son. Jesus can heal all day long. But when one sinner repents, the kingdom of heaven rejoices. And the consequence here, not just this man, but his whole house. And so I just want to challenge you this morning and, and this season, particularly as we go through the holiday season, it's so easy to get stressed out and to get worried and get anxious and get wrapped up and caught up in all of the busyness and we can work ourselves frazzled. May we not forget why. It's called the Christmas season. In that word, break it down, Christ. We are celebrating, are worshiping, not the information of Jesus, but Jesus Christ himself. Why? Because he saves sinners like you and me and continues to do so if we but trust in him by faith. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we have received the truth this day, the knowledge. May we not depart simply with that, but may we believe in you. May we believe in what Jesus Christ came to do and what he did accomplish, what he purchased for us by coming into the world, being born of a virgin, nothing to his name in a, in a manger stall, living a life of sinless obedience. And then at 33, giving himself up a sacrifice for our sins. He did not remain in the grave. On the third day he rose again, and he ascended to heaven, which now he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, praying for his people and preparing a place for them. Lord, may we all believe and trust in Christ by faith like this official did. Thank you for your word, and thank you for this time. In Christ's name we pray, amen.